0: A new tomb reminiscent of sweet home Chicago for the presumed number one pick in the NFL draft, a proposed punishment way too severe for any court or field storming and signing day. Just how many of those things do you need anyway? This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, February 28th. Got a leap day, extra day coming in February tomorrow. That's what everybody needs in their lives, an extra day. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and Ryan McGee joining us here. Pete, I believe, is joining us from beautiful Indianapolis. So, Pete, how is uh how how are things going at the NFL Draft Combine?
1: Well, I landed in Indiana yesterday, uh, Reese, at uh about noon. It was 68 degrees and sunny. It was like a late September kick, uh, you know, at Notre Dame. I mean, it was beautiful yesterday. And by the time, 24 hours later, I walked over to the convention center to start combining uh, today, it was 24 degrees with a wind from the Old Testament that cut right through my
0: sleep. <laughs> McGee, are you a combine aficionado? You enjoy the combine?
2: Um, I enjoy the awkwardness of it. I've only, I've only covered like two, I believe. And I enjoy, What well, my favorite part is when you're in your hotel room. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, if you're at Disney World, Reason, I know you're there a lot at the resort hotels. There's a lot of at 6 a.m. You hear kids running up down the hallway and it wakes you up. The combine is like that, except you open the door and looked, and, and it's like a, you know, it's a safety from Yukon who's you know getting mm-hmm. warmed up in the hallway. So that the awkward, and he's on his underwear, the underwear Olympics. The the awkwardness of it is my favorite part, and uh, yeah, and and I love the fact that for some reason, what happens there in your underwear running around and jumping up and down completely negates everything you did in 13 football games the the previous (laughs) fall. That's my favorite part of it.
0: Well, you know why it is? It's because in this league, as I said in the NFL, they feel like that, you know – it is such a superior brand. It is a superior brand of football, but they feel like it's so superior that they can fix all of the things that those little college coaches had messed up with these guys. (laughs) If they're really good and they're under, we can fix that. There's no question with our superior intellect and our ability to reach people and motivate them. uh, And not to mention all of the techniques and uh, schemes that we'll scheme them up. We'll fix all of this. So that's why, I mean, everybody understands the reason why no one has any of those types of questions, Pete, about, Caleb Williams and earlier in the year, not directly from Caleb himself necessarily, but there was talk that, you know uh, if it's the bears, well, they're not going there that they're going to try to use their leverage to play uh, for, for whoever he might want to play for and not play for any organization that he prepared, uh, didn't want to play for, which is fine. By the way, I want to go on record and say, I know people recoil uh, against that, but if you have a hammer, You have the right to swing it. And when you're Caleb Williams, you have a bit of a hammer. It's going to turn some people off. John Elway turned people off when he didn't want to play for the Colts. Eli Manning turned people off uh, when he didn't want to play for the Chargers. They swung their hammer when they had it. They used their leverage. But now it appears from your conversation with him that while Caleb Williams does, in fact, have a hammer, he might. uh, it seems to me, let's say, that he's decided that It's not best wielded against the city of big shoulders. Meet Packard to the world. (laughs) I think
1: he, you know, the takeaway from the conversation Reese was that he wants Chicago to use their hammer. He just basically said they have the last say so here. He has no agenda. He has no intention of trying to gum up the draft process. Like you said, like John Elway did. It's like, we get one, a generation, right? You get Elway, and then obviously we had uh, we had Eli Manning and Caleb Williams. Simply put, said that was not going to be him when I spoke with him on uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, perhaps more importantly, he said he liked deep dish pizza, and um, he did say he went down some uh, <laughs> rabbit holes. I assume on YouTube on uh, Michael Jordan and Walter Payton. I recoiled a little bit as he said, "I'm 22. I didn't get a chance to watch them play," and right. I was like, Woof. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> man." Man, check the grays in the mirror. Uh, but it was a uh, it was it was a good conversation that seemingly is going to set the tone here. I expect the Bears to to pick Caleb Williams. I don't have any like insight front office information on that, but that just appears the way they are trending and the way this thing's going.
0: Ryan, what do you do? You look at Caleb Williams as a generational prospect, and and if so, or even if not. Uh, how do you compare what you see from him as opposed to what you might have thought about Justin Fields coming out of uh, out of Ohio State and going into the draft?
2: Well, it's interesting because I actually I spent a lot of time with Justin Fields. Uh, I haven't spent a ton of time with Caleb Williams, but I'm fascinated by how much the world has changed since Justin Fields was entering the draft 10 minutes ago and Caleb Williams is entering the draft now because Caleb Williams is the first legitimate NIL legal superstar. And Justin Fields was kind of this experiment because he'd been on a reality television show, you know, on streaming. And then, and, and, you know, he's at one school and then he goes to another school. And the book on him was, he's difficult to deal with. And you would talk to people that I work with. No, not really. But, but, but he was penalized for some things that came off in the reality show when he was in high school. And so he was kind of the first experiment with that. And now Kayla Williams is that, plus starring in hamburger commercials every commercial break during every game you watch. So I'm fascinated by that part of it. Talent wise, I feel like they're comparable. Um, you know, I think what Kayla Williams was asked to do when your team's going up fifty points a game was wasn't fair. um but but i'm I'm fascinated to see how well he handles all of this over the next few weeks because how well, I think he handled it all you know, in the fall, we saw moments where, I mean, the Colorado, we saw moments where he looked crushed, where he looked, you know, he looked overwhelmed. And so how do you take that now as a person, not just as a football player and translate in that into the pressure that's coming out. And I feel like he, I mean, Pete, you tell me, it feels like he's handling all of this much better because I think he's been pushed through this crucible that he was pushed through last fall.
1: Yeah. I think Caleb Williams is, is ready for the moment here as a, as a talent. Um, I would put him sort of in the, the trinity of, of since I've been doing this with Luck Lawrence as prospects, right? People became better than them during that time, but Luck, Luck and Lawrence. I, I think he is that gifted <clears throat> and I think he has that much uh, potential. I think he's just a little more polished of an intermediate passer than Justin Fields, who I liked a lot coming out of Ohio State, but Justin Fields was a monster college quarterback when he was, uh, when, when he was there. Um, as for like Caleb, the person, I, I do think he's been pushed through the crucible a little bit and I think Sort of some of his silence the last six, eight weeks has sort of created this vacuum where, um, you know, others have spoken for him, uh, mostly anonymously and sort of created some created some potential scenarios that really weren't rooted in uh, in in reality. So I, I think going forward, Caleb's ready. And I think to, to go big picture, like Ryan did very, very eloquently by talking about the reality show and the, gen. you know, Caleb, to me, is kind of one of the first Gen Z high profile prospects it's just, he's just different. You know, he's wired a little bit different. He came up in the Instagram era and the Snapchat era. And it's just, it's just different. These, these guys, you know, kids evolve, generations evolve. And so it's okay for Caleb Williams to paint his nails and do some things that old guard football guys don't like, you know? And, uh, but one thing with Caleb is that he's very confident in himself. And I think, if, if there was any skepticism about him, I think if you ever talk to his teammates, his coaches, support staff mm-hmm. at Oklahoma or USC, they would all stand on the table for Caleb Williams as a person, as a worker, and a teammate. And that's what matters more than some of the periphery stuff.
0: You know, I, I think as it pertains to the painting the nails, it wasn't so much that the nails were painted. It's not that anybody necessarily is against uh, manicures, though. I've never had one. I just typically cut my fingernails with uh, hedge clippers. But I think it was, I think it was the, um, I think it was the message that was put on there. I don't know if we'll be seeing, you know f the Packers you know on his fingernails if he if he goes to the Bears. Boy, they'd like that in Chicago well they, they would they would the Packers defense by I don't know if instigating uh, NFL defenders is the way to go but you know there are and I'm not you know a front office expert by any stretch of the imagination but there are also some financial incentives here for the Bears to reset their quarterback clock not, not to get too far in the weeds but uh, Fields is looking at probably about a $22 million option or something for 2025 uh, going to go up to 30 million probably assuming he's still a starter by 26 so you have to be convinced right now he's your guy. Williams resets uh, to more cost effective quarterback option at the moment, lessens the gamble or at least kicks the can down the road. Total contract estimate for his rookie deal. You know, it'd be, I think I read 38 million and maybe just six or seven against the cap for right now, which gives you a little more, a little more leeway and also gives you more time because basically what you're asking the Bears to do is decide on Justin Fields right now. And it may turn out this is a win-win situation. Now, who knows if there is a trade that will be consummated, but if it is, then I think Justin Fields is starting to come around and develop. And it used to be in the old days, uh, you know, uh, back when uh, back when Michael Jordan played and we all saw him, that it wasn't uncommon to see uh, NFL quarterbacks take four or five years to develop. And if they were to trade him well, oh, I don't know, let's say to the Falcons, um, that might be something that that really, really worked out for both but i figure caleb's gonna go number one uh overall anything else that you took away from your conversation about him do you feel like he was trying to um dampen some of the outside noise that had uh, come along with chicago at all was there any motivation like that
1: you know i didn't feel like he was trying to get anything across in in particular i did specifically ask him about holding up the draft and i didn't probably phrase it that way in the question but I think that's what people wanted to know. Are you going to come in and do that? And he was very explicit about that was not his intention. He doesn't have uh, intention. He doesn't have an agenda. I think there was a genuine curiosity, Reese, about the Bears. He hadn't mm-hmm. talked to anybody from the Bears. He never met the Bears. He didn't grow up watching the Bears. Like, he doesn't know a lot about the Bears. He did point out the Bears haven't been very good lately. So he, you know, has a curiosity of, you know, again, these kids who've been recruited like him, they they get to go and pick. So I think he's curious about, hey, what's it like on the inside? What's the locker room like? What's the facility like? What's mm-hmm. the organizational plan? Is you know, it, it, you use the word healthy? Like, is the organization growing and changing and moving in in, in that direction? So. I think our old friend Kevin Warren is probably going to su- su- provide some of those answers about the direction of the franchise. He's the president, obviously, of the Chicago Bears now and uh, pushing that organization in the direction. Ryan Pouls, for Boston College star, is the uh, general manager. Matt Eberflus is still the coach. And, you know, Caleb used the phrase first date uh, kind of jokingly. And I think both sides have something to show on this. They obviously want to learn from him and he's going to learn from them.
2: That part fascinates me. The flip, the, the script flip on this always fascinates me. I've talked to Bryce Young about that. Yeah, I live here in Charlotte. Yeah. Obviously, he stepped into a nightmare scenario. Everyone's decided he doesn't know how to play football anymore. And But, but we've talked about how you don't know. Like, you you literally, as opposed to, here's everything we have, please come here, uh, and, and you've seen everything. He said, and now, he said, you can't even – part of the secrecy of the NFL, which is, you know, insane in my opinion – you can't even really look at practice facilities online. Like, unless the team has been on hard knocks, you have no idea like what the building <laughs> wow. looks like on the inside. And so it's such a script flip for these kids. And it's also, quite frankly, a little bit of reality check they need because, you know, you ain't the guy anymore. No matter how much we're paying you or whatever else, the locker room is going to make you earn your keep. And so, yeah, it's, that, the, that part of it has always fascinated me, what they're used to and now having to start right. at the bottom, you know, wherever
1: they go. And most facilities are a big downgrade.
0: Well, I was just, uh, Pete, I was going to say the same thing is that is the, that is the biggest surprise for some people on the, on the outside, maybe for some of the players too, is that in terms of the amenities, the extras, uh, that's quite a step down from what you're accustomed to. Yeah. Most most places at the highest ends of the facilities races in college football. I'm in an Even inflatable
2: up. bubble? I'm we're running drills in an inflatable yeah. bubble next to yeah. the stadium now? What where's my where's my 100 million dollar indoor? I had that Where's, where's the know? waterfall?
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, Where is yeah. yeah. the <laughs> You know, where's the where's the high powered coach saying that this is not conducive to winning that we have to have a barber shop in here? What's going on? You know, it's uh, you, know, it, you know, it was it was funny. Uh, this is true in, in basketball as well. And there was a guy from the NBA that came in and saw this has been several years ago. Now, Kentucky people would tell you that their facility needs, you know, uh, I don't. Think they've upgraded a time few years ago. They were trying to, but a few years ago they were kind of you know cutting edge, had the best, had redone it and everything. And a guy from the NBA came through and they said, "Oh, how does this compare to NBA?" And he said, "What are you talking about? It's not even close." He said, "We don't have anything like this." And said, "Why?" Goes, we spend the money on the players, so that's one of the things that might you know long term might be coming down the track as we look at at the future college sports hey pete i know you have to go but i'm not gonna let you go until you play a game with ryan and me that even that even adrian and sean don't know that we're going to play Ooh, he's going off script it's combine related okay okay Just for fun. Who's who's gonna run the fastest 40 at the combine? I've got four categories here, I think, or at least maybe three. Maybe three categories. So
1: I saw this in doing my combine prep. There's a, a DB somewhere kind of obscure who
0: people Te- thought Texas, could Texas Tech, Tyler Owens. Yes. Is that the guy? Yes. It, Tyler it, Owens
1: is definitely gonna be in that conversation. Um, is that is that your funny. pick? It was I think I was yes, I'll take Tyler Owens. Uh Bruce Feldman's freaks freaks list, uh, pre-combine, pointed out something really interesting. Who's the Seahawks corner who went to UTSA? Is it Tyreek Wooden? Yeah. Uh, yep. we'll yes, who was a pro yeah. or we'll we'll monster end. pick, like promote the scout, like who did that, right? Like, But he also ran like a four-two. He had the fastest score at the combine. So, again, some of the underwear Olympics doesn't translate. That translated. So it's it's always it's it, they're the most imperfect data sets in all sports. It's the oh, James
2: God. Jet rule. Remember James Jet the <laughs> yeah. West Virginia. Yeah. My dad my dad always tells a story about when he was officiating the Big East and he was gotten in a position and it's like a punt return and he's twenty yards downfield and normally with, with a head start would be okay and all of a sudden he said this guy went past him. And he'd never seen anyone faster than that—not Rocket Ismail, not Willie Galt, none of these guys. Wow! And he goes to Don Nealon. He goes, "Who in the hell is that guy?" And Nealon was like, "That's James Jett. He just won a bronze medal in Barcelona or whatever." <laughs> and it was yeah. like, and and suddenly he's on everyone's draft boards, you know. And it, 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 yeah. it's funny, speed kills, boys. Who, who's your Who's your pick, Ryan? No, I, that's the pick that all the Texas Tech people okay. have been telling I, me. I don't know. We don't know what he's going to do past Indianapolis but he will be a star on social media for at least one day when the 40 the, the,
0: runs Those are Those are great picks. Uh, a couple other candidates, worthy Xavier Worthy from Texas, Jalen Wright from Tennessee, but I'm going to go with the wide receiver from Oregon State. I'm going to say Anthony Gould, the little guy that yeah. uh, surprises everybody. Here's a fun one, Pete, who's faster in the 40. I think they're Ooh. both running, I believe. You correct me if I'm wrong about this. Chris Braswell from Alabama, defensive end linebacker type, or Brock Bowers. Oof,
1: they're going to be close. I've seen some positive. Again, I've never read a pre combine report where someone runs slow, so I want to be mm-hmm. very clear about that. Oh man, he's really slogging it in training. Um, but I've heard Brock is uh, Brock is right there with because uh, I think Braswell is going to be one of the fastest defensive. So I'm going to take Braswell.
2: I love it when the linemen roll out, when the D linemen roll out there.
1: Oh yeah.
2: And it's just, I mean, I, I think about it. I remember Monte Montez Sweat. Um mm-hmm. I remember uh yeah. Amari Barno out of Virginia Tech, whom no one had heard of outside of Blacksburg until that day, I want to say maybe two years ago, ran like a four three. No, it's my favorite is when those dudes roll out there and just truck it. And um, you know, all of a sudden all of a sudden, I'm a third round pick. Like again, it negates it negates the fact that I missed 47 tackles last fall. But, but I, I bust yeah. off a four four. All of a
0: sudden, somebody's going to take a flyer on me. Why are you hating on the combine, McGee? You just, you just yeah, no, oh, you just continue. Oh, no, no, you I love it. to bash the combine. No, 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 no but this, this is the time of year. No no, 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 This is the time of year, and you guys will be at the draft. I won't. but this is the
2: time of year where all of the NFL people will call and go. Well, I heard so and so is no good. I'm like, all I know is I watched him throw five touchdown passes. You know against also. So, so it's just, I, I love the fact that the film no longer matters because because you know
0: we're dumb college football people. We don't know any better. Okay, I'm going. I'm going to go Braswell too. Are you going Bowers or Braswell, McGee?
2: Uh, I'll take Bowers because all all, all he's ever done is blow my mind. So I'll What's take Brock.
0: There you go. Okay, and then this is the final one. Then we have to let Pete go. I'll give you three candidates here just for fun. If you want to go off the board, uh, that's okay. I think these are three of the leading candidates to do the most reps of two twenty-five on the bench. Chop Robinson, Peyton Wilson, Chris Jenkins. Who you got, Thamel? You can take some you can take someone else. Huh?
1: Didn't Chris Jenkins have a nickname that yeah, was. Yeah, like, I think
0: Garbaugh uh, called him the mutant, I believe. He yes, like I believe was, that's what he there called was him.
1: Something there. something of that. So Look, if Jim Harbaugh thinks you're a mutant, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bet against you. Now it's hard to bet against Peyton Wilson, because that dude, mm-hmm. all that dude was did was average 16 tackles a game for seven straight seasons, in my mind.
0: I like Chop. You're gonna take oh, Chop? I'll take Chop
2: just because he's, he's no we haven't picked him yet, but also how unbelievable like if, if Chop Robinson busts off like a record number of bench presses, like that's out of that movie draft day, right? There's no way yeah. if someone named Chop Robinson. <laughs> Like like dominates it. like I'm I'm all for that just because right I just and there's Chop Robinson I mean, I just want I just want to
0: hear that call so yeah cool. Chop he's my man it's probably going to be somebody that's not on the list of three that I went I'm going to go Jenkins you know I think you can bet um, with people who um, offer games of chance for all of these categories yeah and I came up I believe you can make wagers Pete are you gonna can I leave are you gonna you with have
1: this thought on Chop. I'll always yeah. remember Chop Robinson for being so violent off the edge in that Michigan game Yeah, that he forced Sharon Moore to run the ball 32 straight times. Yeah. They were so scared <laughs> and their <laughs> tackles had so little chance to stop him. Because there were like two plays in that game where he like beat the snap to the quarterback. Basically, he had it so well timed. He had so much explosion. So that is sort of one of those quirky things about last season. The uh, I think 32, I I might be making that number up, but it was a lot of runs in a row. And also it was all
0: of the runs except for except for one (laughs) way. I think I think all of the plays were runs. Yeah, and by the yes. way,
2: and no offense to any of our friends out there who wager, but if if you're wagering on the bench presses at the combine, I have some pamphlets that I'd like to share with you. <laughs> yeah, it you, might be time you to might, seek down. It <laughs> might, might might be
0: time to go to some meetings. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. Um, last thing, Pete, what are the odds that you will partake in some of the delicious cocktail sauce from Saint Elmo's?
1: So. This weather change has gotten me a little bit congested, and I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to give our our listeners too much information. They could probably hear it in my voice, but uh, I would say that that is that is one heck of a nasal decongestant. So yes. I, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna roll with
0: it. I've gr- I've got a great. I've told you this before, Pete. I've got a great photograph of jay williams he and i were in in that restaurant one night and he was completely unaware of just how Mm. potent the horseradish Mm. is in the sauce Mm. and so he you know, you want to get a, I, I like that. I like that little rush that you get. I, I never have, nor do I intend to ever do any type of drug. And that's the closest thing I think I get to some kind of buzz or high is when you get either the wasabi high, uh, when you're eating sushi or, you know, that little rush or the horseradish from this sauce, but you do, you need to be careful. Jay will was unaware of this and just, I mean, put like a spoonful. It looked like on, on uh, a nice piece of shrimp. And ate it, mm. and then it, it got mm. him. And mm. the veins on his forehead are protruding to an alarming rate. But I, but I got a great photo of it. Uh, he was you should tweet week.
1: that. I think he'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah.
0: I have, I have on a few occasions. Uh, maybe, okay. maybe when the combine starts tomorrow, I'll do it again. Say yeah, this is right. what happened if you don't, if you don't use the uh, cocktail sauce wisely at St. Elmo's. And yeah. and you
2: guys know one of the grossest places on planet Earth is the bathroom at a college football press box. And uh, yes. but it was at the at the college football national championship yeah. a couple years ago in Indianapolis. Uh, at halftime, they had Saint Elmo's cocktail sauce out for everyone, Uh-oh. and uh, and I and Uh-oh. I was like I was like boys, y'all need to not do this. And yeah. uh, no, and they and they started throwing down, and I, I had the rope basically to myself in the fourth quarter of the game. So it was uh, it, it, but yeah, it was it was. And by the way, I, you know you guys know I basically paid property tax in Indianapolis because I'm there the whole month of May for the Indy 500. I'm using yeah. it back for the NASCAR race in, in late summer, but Harry and Izzy's next door to St. Elmo's. <laughs> yeah. Very same good. deal. Same Excellent. deal. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so a lot of, I tell a lot of people don't, you know, but it, but it, but it's, uh, yeah, but you got, you have to go. Um, it's a different experience in August though, when it's 150 degrees than it is. Sure. You know this time
0: of year. So, So Pete Thamel left to chase people around Indianapolis, try to make connections with agents, do all those things that uh, that the great reporters do—hanging out in uh, dingy bars until the wee hours, getting the oh, yeah. getting the little scoops in the and the waning moments. I'm not sure that um, that he'll find any information on this particular thing, Ryan. But what what are your thoughts that? Uh, about the college football playoff, the move to five to seven is expected and appropriate. Five and seven being five automatic qualifiers, seven at-large bits. But then the the hook that was thrown out there, or the little uh, piece of bait that was thrown out there, I said, "Well, maybe we maybe we expand to fourteen instead of twelve and it said, well, we'll do it." What What was your reaction to that? I was like, "I'll tell you what mine was." It was like, "What are you guys doing?" Yeah, I just <laughs> it was like, I "What just, are you doing?"
2: Yeah, you and you know. My NASCAR days, my knock would always be on NASCAR that they couldn't just make an announcement. There would be an announcement, and then the end of the announcement would be, and we're also thinking about this. I'm like, why don't you just let us deal with what you gave us? And then, But I just, but here's my thing, I, I and I've said this a million times, and I am in a minority on this, and I know it, which is I, if we're going to expand it, just go to 16 and get it over with. Because Absolutely. I want it yeah. to be evenly divisible. I hate buys. I hate them. Like, I just don't – I you know, I want – I feel like I have say this all the time. I've said it to you privately, publicly a million times, which is I want Saturday to look like Saturday and Sunday to look like Sunday. And so as college football marches toward being NFL point two or whatever, um, the one thing I do like is everyone has to play some number of games. If you want to win a half championship – if you're close to Carolina, you're going to have to win the same number of games that Alabama does. And so I don't like buys because I just don't like what that means. And so start with 16. You know, I grew up on small college campuses, you know, 1AA, back when we used to call it that, Division two, whatever, and it was a 16-team postseason, and it was perfect. And so my feeling all along has been give me 8, give me 4, give me 16, give me something evenly divisible. And so to me, 14 does nothing that 12 does. Yeah. And so just go to 16 and get it over with.
0: I, I think – I really believe – it may not be true as as the sport changes and the NIL and it affords um, – in, in some ways it affords some schools who ordinarily wouldn't be powerhouses opportunities to get in. And not only just to get in, but maybe to compete because they can pay their players too and you've got to and make sure you've allocated your assets, however that comes out. So maybe that gives you some uh, – some opportunity there that I'm overlooking a little 12 even seems a little big. I'm excited about it. It'll be fun. More football with significance will be fun, but I don't know that we have 12 teams who will go through the regular season who will have earned, you know, the right um, to be to compete for a championship in the same way that you would if you had a smaller field, like let's say eight or even certainly four or two. But I agree with you. I would say go ahead and go to 16 and do the one thing that I don't see them doing, which is eliminate the conference championship games and go ahead and start the playoff then. And if you feel like you need to take a little break after you reduce it from 16 to 8, well, then go ahead. Uh, Or you could just keep going. And I I think that's probably where we will wind up. It may be well after our careers because college football, though it seems to be changing rapidly now, historically has moved at a glacial pace. So, you know, I think that's probably the long term answer if they want to go beyond this, because even now with the conference championship games, you are uh, you are risking diluting them even further Uh, if you, especially, you know, I keep bringing up the scenario and it might not happen for 10 years and it might happen with, uh, two sets of teams next year. You know, you play the final weekend of the season, you play in the conference championship game, and then lo and behold, maybe you each win one game. You're probably, it's unlikely you'd be paired against each other again for a third consecutive time, but it wouldn't be terribly unlikely if you split those two that maybe each of you win a game or one of you gets to buy and the other one wins a game and you play again. You know, that wouldn't be beyond the pale. So now you've played 3 times in a really short period of time and it sort of diminishes the product. So, uh one way to avoid that I think is to is to go on past the conference championship games, which I do enjoy. It's fun to play for a trophy. It's you know and maybe you're going to get lucky and you're going to have your top two teams that didn't play during the regular season because of the large numbers of teams in the conference and maybe it's going to work out perfectly some years. And I'm sure that it will, but you know, I think if you're talking 14, I agree with you. Go ahead and expand uh, to 16 and, and move along here, but that, that'll probably probably take a a little while here. Here's something that we've spent a great deal of time talking about on college game day basketball that at least has some of football connection to it. And that is the, the idea of the court storm, or the field storm, and there, there, there's been a lot of reaction to it, a lot of visceral reaction to it. Most notably because of the uh, collision with the fan that Kyle Filipowski of Duke had when Wake Forest, who was favored to win the game, by the way, yeah. stormed the court after yeah. winning. Yeah. What do you, what answer does there need to be, and with that, what answer would you suggest? Well, first of all, I think that all
2: of a sudden it's an issue because we've had incidents involving the star player for arguably the most recognizable basketball program in in the world and Duke and, and Caitlin Clark, you know, I, I didn't hear all this outrage and we, we certainly heard parts of it, but we didn't hear all this outrage until it came down to those two things. And I'm kind of torn on it, honestly. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, the players belong, athletes belong on the court and the, the, uh, the fans belong in the stands. The the players don't belong in the stands, no more than the the fans belong on the court or on the field. But that at the same time, one of the greatest memories of my life was when I with my college roommate stormed the field at Notre Dame after a football game because Tennessee upset Notre Dame in a big upset. Uh, I made your boy Coach Holt sign my ticket stub one time at dinner. He he did yeah, it. He enjoyed that begrudgingly. I go, hey Coach, I got something for you to sign because it better not be from that Tennessee game. I go, it actually it is. But 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 the point is is that I get the emotion of it. Um, But I think the dynamics of it have changed, to your point. Now, my brother's a Wake Forest grad. He is still thrilled. It's the only game he wants to win every year is the Duke game. That's just how they feel after some lost in the wilderness for many years, Wake Forest basketball. So, yeah, they were were favored. The criteria for storming the court has changed. And I think a lot of that has to do with social media. You know, a lot of it is I'm running out onto the court. There's also an awareness. When I ran onto the field at Notre Dame, I ran. I didn't run into anyone because I was actually looking around. You know, I think a lot of times you've got them crashing. You know, it's like like being in Manhattan. People crash into each other every time. You know, it's time to walk because they're looking at their phones. And so there's some of that. And it and it's posting stuff. I get all that stuff. So I'm torn. I mean, the emotion that we all and the passion we all enjoy as college sports fans. These are great moments. But the safety aspect of it, I mean, I, and, you know, I bring up my dad all the time. I, I, I was sc- really was scared for him multiple times during his career when fans would rush the field and there's still eight seconds on the clock. You know, we still got, they still got to run plays. And so it's a danger. I get it. Um, I don't want us to wait until there's some catastrophic injury, you know, to, to an athlete or even to a fan to suddenly decide. I, I, and I don't think there should be forfeits. Um, I, yeah, I don't either. I, I, that, I, you,
0: you teased it earlier. I knew this where you're that's going. O- that, it's over the top. Yeah. It, I yeah. mean, yeah. I know. Look, I know some other people have talked about it, and I, I'm probably not closer to any administrator in college sports than I am to Greg Byrne. And people say, "Well, he's the Alabama AD and you're an Alabama guy." But our friendship dates back to the time when he was fundraising at Mississippi state for whatever yep. reason uh, we met at a conference, we hit it off and we've just remained friends through the time he was there when he was at Arizona. I disagree with him on this. And I, you know, some of it might've been the emotion of the moment and Alabama has a little bit of a, um, you know, a little bit of a burr in its saddle about the field storming too, because everybody that's beaten them for the last, you know, 15 years, it feels like if, if they do it on their own home field, they storm the field. And many of the people who've been involved in that have said to me that they legitimately are afraid um, because, you know, you have that panic of being crushed or whatever it might be, and you can't get out. And you're also beyond the physical fear for, for you. There's also the fear. What if somebody, panics and does something dumb throws a punch whatever all of those things are legitimate and i and i understand it i also think it's a little little beyond the pale to start talking about you know making this some type of trespassing legal offense or whatever unless someone does something else i talked to kelvin sampson uh, the houston basketball coach about this yesterday and kelvin sort of is much uh sounded very similar to what seth greenberg has said and it's sort of where i fall in this too instead of waiting on somebody to make a rule and tell you how it's going to be or supposed to be, how about if the schools and the arenas and the security staff start being proactive about it and set some type of uh, guideline and stipulation? Now, can you stop 10,000 people if they all are of one mind and decide to storm? No, you cannot. But you can't if you impose a rule either. You know, if you you say, hey, we're going to arrest all of you or we're going to forfeit the, if they decide to do it, They're still coming. And, you know, so so that's one thing. And as Kelvin pointed out, he said, you know, after our Baylor game, everything, I think I have the example right, but the the crux of it is what really matters. After that game, all we thought about was getting ready for Cincinnati. We knew we had to prepare for, for Cincinnati last night. Now he'll only prepare for Oklahoma, which is another good story coming up, by the way, on College Game Day Saturday. But we prepared for that. How about if the administrations, the arena staff, security say, hey, you know what? This is a game where our fans might might do this. So how are we going to get the visiting team off the court? How are we going to protect their area? What message are we going to send them and say, look, we're not predicting we're going to beat you. We're not trying to give you bulletin board material, but in the event, that there is a court storming for good or bad, whether because they're mad that you won or happy that we won, here's what we would like for you to do, you know. And here, yeah. here is how we're going to protect you and get you to the locker room. The other thing, the other thing about it, uh, you know, as I think about the forfeiture thing, which I don't think will ever gain any steam, but as I think about this, we talk about players belonging on the court. What in the world could give fans more power over the outcome of a game? than to change the result of a game because because they right. uh you know infringed on the on the playing area. Yeah. So I, I don't think that'll that'll ever gain anything. But I think some common sense approach to it and some stipulations, or maybe everybody could just adopt Clemson football right. and meet it meet at walk the call. Yeah. yeah. They walk out, they, they come walk out of out. a leisurely yeah. place. Everybody's yeah. invited because if you slip even um you know even if they run out in an excited fashion which does happen from time to time they come out quickly and and in an excited fashion if you say that if you use the word storm or rush man do you hear it from Clemson people though everybody's invited so yeah. maybe maybe that's it maybe it's like everybody meet at the at the center circle everybody meet at the giant jayhawk Let's all meet there, you know. Afterwards, and avoid the other team because that's the other part of it. You talked about the social media. The one thing I don't recall seeing as much of in the past, as you see now from it, is like um, the incident with Filipowski. There was a guy; uh, they were running toward him. They were clearly yelling at him and pointing their cameras at you know things like that. That that needs to that I don't know how you how you legislate uh, somebody being a moron. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and, <laughs> and I, you know, I don't really know how you do that.
2: And I and but. something has changed and and, and I want to I want to preface this by saying I'm no prude. I'll be having a couple of cold beers tonight. But something that's changed also and, is yeah, there's yeah. alcohol in the building. Oh yeah and and, yeah. and and like real alcohol, like sold at the at the concession stand. And so yeah. there's a general aggressiveness that exists I feel like a lot of times in a heated and maybe it's kind of a post-COVID thing too, but but there's there's a definite change in aggression in college crowds now versus just a couple of years ago. And the only thing that's really changed is the fact that they can legally go buy beers as opposed to you know sneaking airplane bottles into the you know the Cameron student section as we've all seen. So it's it, a lot has changed. Um, you don't want to change the spirit of the building. You don't want to change the spirit of collegiate athletics. But, you know, in, in basketball in particular, your job is really to get a dozen people off the floor. That's what it is. And yeah. so you have to figure out a way to do that. And I love being proactive, you know, about it. Cause what you don't want is, and I'm saying this to fans, I'm saying this to administrators, everyone, we, we don't want is we don't want a militaristic state, right? We don't, we don't right. want to be going yeah. to a game and feeling like, you know, we're going through TSA security all the time, you know, even during yeah. the game. And so yeah. everybody just use common sense. But the reality is, is that, you know, Oh uh, there there are wins that feel worthy of that. Um yeah, I think about Clemson, even Clemson with the ever folks on there, they just they just politely walk the first time I saw that as a kid, I was like, what are we doing? Everybody just walks yeah. out on the field and shakes hands <laughs> and hugs out, you know, but like, like like it's after a little league football game. But the craziest field storming I've ever seen was at Clemson, and it was the the famous uh Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson game uh on a Saturday night. And I was um, there. Yeah. And, and remember, and do you remember that? I've never, as long as I've been going to football stadiums since I was could walk, I've never seen that. And Clemson didn't know how to handle it because they didn't walk out. They all, mm-hmm. they all. Right. Yeah. But but I was like, I remember consciously in the press box going, "You know what? I believe I'm going to not go to the locker room because I don't think I could yeah. get there." And yeah. so, so it, th- there are wins that feel worthy of it, and right now these things are happening for wins that don't feel worthy of it. So I just use some common sense, and
0: um, but forfeitures, no, I think we can agree on that. No, I think, I think so too. And common sense decorum and being polite to each other. Great place to, to wrap this thing up. Uh, Ryan, great talking to you. Thanks for coming in and uh, giving Pete a little relief. We had to put Pete on the bench uh with with the voice and with the combine thing we didn't really put him on the bench he just he had somebody to meet or some such thing I don't know. <laughs> He had to scoop he had, had scoop. to, he had he to had, meet had some guy in his underwear and yeah, get yeah, some scoop he did. that's exactly <laughs> get a story, get something going. All right, good to talk to you my friend. Right, uh, we encourage you to subscribe to the College Game Day podcast, continue to talk football draft. Touch on a little March Madness once that time comes around a little bit later on. Subscribe the easiest way, or you can download wherever you prefer to get your podcast.